It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins in Edinburgh, where I've been recording over the last few days. Today's episode is about Scotland, a nation we've not given enough time to over the years. Complicating this is the current mess surrounding Cricket Scotland off the field. The game here is as divided as it is in Yorkshire. Senior player Majid Huck first made allegations of racism in 2015 and detailed his complaints along with former national teammate Kazim Sheikh after Azim Rafiq went public about the English system. The Scottish Board commissioned a report titled Changing the Boundaries, its authors concluding in July 2022 that cricket in this country is institutionally racist. The board resigned en masse and the churn of administrators has continued as reports of racist acts continue to occur and be investigated. Sports Scotland on behalf of the government stepped in to run the game. There is no full-time chair or chief executive. While this has been playing out publicly and bitterly, the Scottish men's team came within a few balls of qualifying for the one-day World Cup, knocking off three full member nations on the way. An experienced group under Captain Richie Berrington has never been ranked higher or seen as more of a threat in either white ball format, while Scotland's women are on the road to professionalism with a generation of players aspiring to qualify for World Cups themselves. It's here where we pick up our conversation in this Scotland special featuring four guests. Toby Bailey is Cricket Scotland's high performance boss. Catherine Bryce is the gun all-rounder and captain of the women's team. Matthew Cross is the men's vice captain and a veteran behind the stumps. And the man brought in to help clean up the huge mess is interim chief executive Peter Fitzboyden. Of course, one episode can't cover everything and we don't propose to. But at a critical time for Scottish cricket, this will hopefully give a sense of its ambition while acknowledging the tough days ahead. First up, the architect of Scotland's rise on the field, Toby Bailey. 
As we welcome you today, you're with the women's team who are playing an Irish development side ahead of their T20 World Cup European qualifier in a few weeks from now. Toby, good morning. Yes, it's, um, it's a great opportunity to get some cricket just before we go to Desert Springs in, in sunny Spain. So, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a few games against the Irish. They've kindly brought over a development team. Um, it's a good matchup against our A team. Uh, we've got a lot of girls which are playing in the in the hundred at the moment, which is really exciting. But we just need you know, really competitive fixtures for for the women just going into into late late end of the year. Uh, we've got another ODI series and a T20 series later in the year in October against the Ireland um, full team, which will be really exciting. The reason we wanted to get you on first, Toby, is that the head of high performance there at Cricket Scotland is, well, I suppose you're juggling a lot of various responsibilities. It's not like you're from a, a full member board where there are many people doing these types of roles. I mean, your your job is, is fairly uh, wide ranging. You've been at the organisation for a relatively long time now as well. So you've got a pretty good handle on all things that are going on on the field for both the men's, the women's team, the pathways and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean... I've been with the organisation for around 10 years now. Um, I suppose with that, we've seen the advent of the male team, which has come through, you know, a young team, sort of those young early stages when the World Cup 2015, back in Australia, 2016 in India. You know, back then, the, the male team wasn't really, it was, it was strong, but it was, it, was, it was young. It didn't really understand how to win. And then I think a, a watershed moment was, Perhaps when we lost to the West Indies back in 2018 um, in Zimbabwe and we didn't qualify for the for the World Cup. And that really focused the team to, to look at themselves. And then we had that remarkable victory against England. And I think through that, mm. that's given... You know, there have been some building blocks, you know, before that beating Zimbabwe, Sri Lanka and those sorts of players, uh, teams. But, but from then, you know, that team has confidence now to go and beat you know any full member like you've seen in the in the in the last year and similarly you know we're we're on a journey with the women's team we're not um as far on the way sadly uh, we we introduced women's contracts professional contracts for the first time last year you know we only played for the first time at grange as a women's team against uh, an international which our men's team do um all the time but the the game's growing We've got, like I said, a lot of um, women playing in the 100 and various franchises, regions in England. Um, and that aspect of the game is, is growing as well. But we, we need that to catch up quickly with, uh, with the men's. Yeah, so keen to get in, into all of this. Let's just start at the fact that you're at a high watermark for the men's program, right? I mean, you're ranked 12th in the world, never higher in, in the one-day format of the game, not far away from your, your peak in, in T20 cricket as well. You've just come off the back of a, well, what feels like a very successful competition in Zimbabwe, ever so close to making the 10-team World Cup, which would have seemed fanciful when it went from 14 teams to 10 teams. But in consecutive editions, you've come within one game of making it, beating Ireland, hammering the UAE in Oman, pumping the West Indies for the second time in a year. You knock out Zimbabwe, another full member, by 31 runs to eliminate the home side. It all comes down to um, uh, Scotland against the Netherlands for the second spot, the last one to progress to the World Cup, and it doesn't quite happen, a high-scoring thriller. But the very fact that you've been on this path and having come so close to World Cup qualification, it must fill you with a, a, a significant amount of joy that under your, uh, under your watch that you're so close to being where you want to be. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, it's a bit a bit of sweet. I mean, Baz, Baz the leader, you know, he he had, you know, the 
the best performance of his life in that game and fair play to him you know he he did brilliantly i think it was just a, a game too far for us you know we exceeded expectations going into that tournament you know we didn't have any of our county players available um due to county commitments and that that's fine we didn't have a, a full-time head coach we tried to get a coach um, who was excellent, um, Doug Watson, who's moved back to New Zealand now, and that's just budgetary reasons. But the guys did absolutely fantastically. They punched way above their weight and just put in performance after performance after performance. And I think it goes back to the confidence aspect of when you keep playing these fixtures and you keep winning, you understand how to win. You know, we've got a very tight-knit team. We've got players which want to play for the jersey, which want to play for the, the thistle. And we had some very clear plans, and that's down to the calm captaincy of Richie Barrington and also the, the head coach, Doug Watson, who was absolutely superb and, and a very good support team around him. So, yeah, I mean, if you can do it in those conditions with, with those lack of resources, you know, goodness knows what's what's actually possible. Interesting you say punch above your weight. I mean, you can look at it a different way, right? Like, you know, we speak a lot about the World Cup Super League on this podcast. I have done so over the last three years. You know, World Cup Super League 2, which you've been part of, so much one-day international cricket in that condensed window against some other you know, senior associates along the way. How important do you think that's been, that, that competition, which you won, by the way, which Scotland topped across the three-year cycle, to going into a, a global qualifier like that and playing the way you did? Yeah, really important to just to get volume of fixtures. You know, the fixture, the number of fixtures has definitely gone up um, in the males game, but we need more fixtures against full members. So what I, why I say we punched above our right weight is because we hadn't played any full members until that tournament. The last time we played against a full member was in the World Cup, uh, well, the T20 World Cup. So having that lack, lack of experience is something which, you know, we've, we've just got to learn every time we get on the pitch. But yeah, mm-hmm. and I make no mistake, the, the World Cricket League 2 was, was a fantastic effort to win that as well. And you know, ICC have put on a lot more fixtures for us. So yeah, that's great as well. But we need to be playing against full members more, more and more and more. Mm. I mean... Now there's the expectation, especially with 50-over cricket, let's just deal with that with the men for the time being, that you'll make the tournament next time, 14-team tournament, four years on from now. I know it feels a world away in cricket terms, but just the very fact that the architecture is there. I mean, is that a good thing that there'll be expectations on Scotland to take the next step? And, and do you think that'll affect the way you're resourced as well, knowing that in all probability, unless something went radically wrong, you will be there at the World Cup again in four years' time? Well cricket changes very quickly you know we've got a, a team which is which is changing all the time we've got a team which is in transition uh, who knows what's going to happen in four years time i mean I, I can only talk about what we're trying to do as a program in january 24 we'll be looking for a full-time head coach to take on the male team to go on to that world cup and we'll be looking with for somebody with those type of credentials which yeah Loves that challenge, loves that expectation. I think we've moved to an area where we have to embrace that. You know, we've got a target on our shoulders as being, you know, one of the, the top associate nations. And that's absolutely fine. That's a that's a great position to be in. I'd rather it be that way than the other <laughs> way. <laughs> there used to be that joke that Graham Gooch would make about 
playing against New Zealand, it was uh, the World Eleven at one end with Richard Hadley and the Ilford seconds at the other end with everybody else. It sort of feels that way a little bit with Scotland, right? Like you mentioned the West Indies as one side you've had some success against uh, recently, the World Cup in Australia last year and again uh, in Zimbabwe in July. But a month later in the T20 qualification for Europe, you're up against Austria and Germany and Jersey. And I'm not trying to discredit their journeys in saying that, but there's a there's a pretty big gap between the types of cricket that Scotland play um, when you're duking it out for a World Cup spot and the types of fixtures you get when that's not the case and um, and the different kinds of European qualifiers you, you, that you're not only expected to rock up and play in, but dominate as well. Well, I, yeah, I, I sort of look at that slightly differently. So I think as we're um, the, the leader in associate nations, you know, if, if we're asking for full member nations to come and play against us, like the likes of India, like the likes yep. of in England, we should have absolutely no problem in trying to play against Austria, Germany, Italy, whoever at Denmark, whoever it is, to mm, try and mm. grow the game. So if we're not seen to be growing the game at our level, how do we expect you know the number one, number two nations to come and play against us? So it's just being hypocritical. So yeah, I I, I think what we saw in in that tournament was some very good cricket. I, I was wondering about Italy. I thought that could be a potential yes. banana skin, but fair play to our team. It just came out and they played really, really good cricket and didn't let Italy settle. Italy have a very good side on paper and we knew that that was a potential banana skin. Jersey also. So I think it's great that world cricket's growing. That's a great attitude to take and, and the, the Italy story. We might come back to the, the recruitment of players with um, passports in a moment, but I mean, you know, the very fact that you're now guaranteed your place in that 20-team World Cup next year in the West Indies and the UAE, a much better format for you as well, I'd imagine, in terms of guaranteeing being part of that main draw. And it feels like, you know, a, a good time with the cycle of the group. You've got George Munsey, Richie Barrington, Mark Watt, like, you know, battle-hardened. They've been through this a couple of times and, and others with them. Uh, younger players have had the opportunity uh, both in 2021 and 2022 to play in a World Cup. Well, you know, now you'll be uh, yeah, in that main draw and, and who knows, anything's possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we spent a bit of time over in Antigua earlier this year. We played some CPL teams. Um, we took a very inexperienced team over there. Um, and it just amazes me that when you give these players who are just below that level the chance, firstly, they see it and some of them just take it straight away. Others take a little bit of time, but they're definitely good enough. And I think, you know, we've got some experience over there. We know what it's like. Yeah, let, let's go over there. Let's try and qualify for the for the Super 8s. Why not? We've done it before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mentioned, you know, recruitment. The emergence of Brandon McMullen uh, seems important, you know, 23 years of age, doing brilliant things for the Scottish national national team. You know, fundamentally, he is South African. He's come over to play cricket for Scotland. I mean, that's been part of Ireland's story. It's part of Italy's story right now. Have you hit the point, do you think, where there'll be players around the world with a Scottish ancestry or a link to a Scottish passport who might go, oh, that, that's quite an interesting destination to play my international cricket? Is that, is that something that you're working on and, and, and seeing as an opportunity there? It's not something we should work on at all, no. I, I think it's the way of the world now. I think uh, if you look around many teams around the world, it's just the way that you know world travel is. Um, you know, Inevitably, you're going to get players which were not born and bred or came through your, your system, which play in international teams. Just going to the, the story of Brandon, you know, Brandon has, has come over to Scotland for 
not just a few years. You know, he mm. he came over uh, to play for Sterling when he was yep. late late teens. So he's always had that affiliation. And what we what we would say is, yeah, great, come over and, and play your cricket. But we wouldn't introduce you into a program until that that last year that you're about to qualify. Because what we want to do is get our players coming through our system to go and play for Scotland. And yeah, if a player appears who's got parentage, who's vastly better than perhaps the players in our system, then absolutely, we've got we've got to take notice of that. But we we don't actively go out and look. I mean, we've um, we've been very lucky with Brandon. I think you know he's shown his talents. I think what was good with uh, the uh, Doug earlier this year, he just said, right, he's batting here. And I was like, oh, okay. And he just gave him that freedom to go out there. And it didn't work for him a couple of times. And my goodness, you know, I think he may have surprised himself. I mean, what, you know, what a player. Ball mm. and bat. It's just, it's just great to see. And usually, I mean, not usually, occasionally it's the other way, right? The complexity of the relationship with England and this history there going all the way back to, you know, Douglas Jardine and Mike Dennis and, and all the rest of it, that, that relationship. You've been 30 years on your own now as a, an associate member since formally breaking ties with England, the side you beat famously in 2018 at the Grange, you know, last time you played in a, in a one-day international. They win a World Cup a year later at Lords. you know, there is, that, uh, there is that closeness between the nations. But, I mean, Seeing England as a place to finish off your players, a finishing school, I suppose. Mark Watt, Derbyshire, was seen as a big thing over the last couple of years after his World Cup stardom in 2021. The Bryce sisters playing not only in the 100, but playing day-to-day in the regional structure. You can go all the way back to Gavin Hamilton, if you want, you know, star of the, the 99 World Cup, then going on to play um, test cricket with England. But, you know, the importance of England in the Scotland story as it is in 2023. I think it's important. It's not as important as it used to be as a finishing school. I really don't because I think now there's so much more franchise cricket around the world. So I think there's spaces for associate players. You know, so for instance, we have a, a number of players going to the ILT20 in in Dubai. I've just had other franchise tournaments contact me for about other players which they want to to put into their tournaments. So I think. We've probably got to look beyond this, you know, big brother England. We've we've got to look world level. And I think when um, when we start doing that, we see ourselves as an international team. When we when we sort of bring players into counties, then they can actually lose themselves in that county. I mean, you know, so let's look at Mark Watt for instance. Mark Watt is rated number thirteen in the world as a bowler. Right. If he goes and plays county cricket, he just loses that perhaps perhaps aura. But when he plays in a franchise, then he's seen as the number thirteen bowler in the world. Mm. Does that does mm. that sort of make sense? I think yeah, I, it does. I, I think there's um there's a mindset here. So, you know, how much red ball cricket do we play? We don't play red ball cricket. You know, a lot of county cricket is about red playing red ball cricket. We're playing we play white ball cricket. We made a decision a few years ago when the I Cup finished that we would just train white ball cricket. It's, we can't afford to play both formats of cricket. So I think yes, there's still options there. We still want to use it, but it's not as big as it as it used to be. It used to be right. Let's get let's get them down to a county. That's the be all and end all. I don't see that now. We've had teams like. You know, the My franchise came and played against us in four games. We've had uh, Chennai Braves come and play against us. I think 
people want to play against their A team. They know what's coming up underneath. You know, it's it's more about trying to create relationships with these other franchises. I think we've got to think bigger than English county cricket. You mentioned your domestic system and having no multi-day cricket and no red ball cricket at the moment. I mean, you weren't far away from being a full member of the ICC a couple of years ago. So, I mean, there would have been an opportunity to have played some test cricket, the demise of the Intercontinental Cup. I mean, Ireland, for example, are pretty keen to get that back, acknowledging they don't play as much test cricket as they want. They'd love to see a multi-nation, three or four-day competition to return. Is that something that, that Scotland would have an interest in as well? At the moment, I just don't think we can afford it. Like it's, it's literally, you know, four-day cricket costs a lot of money. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, I, I think we've got to concentrate on white ball cricket. I think until the ICC say differently, then that's where we've got to put our resources. And that, you know, we only have a finite amount of resources and it's, you know, it's up to us to say, right, well, what, what are the areas we're going to do? I haven't seen any uh, detriment to our players in well, we've seen it in 50 over cricket by not playing red ball cricket. Mm. So mm. why would we want to go and start a red ball program? You know, if people want to play red ball cricket, then they can go 150 miles down the road and play it in, in England. That, that's the way I see it. And I suppose at the moment, wanting to be expansive might be challenging when off the field, I mean, there's the looming spectre of what's going on, changing the boundaries report and the chain reaction of events as that set off. We can go all the way back to the 2015 World Cup if we wish to with the Majid Huck allegations then. But I mean, from your perspective, being on the cricket side, not on the um, not on the sort of board side of things, how much more difficult it's been running a cricket program with so much instability off the field at board level? Look, you know, there's there's things in the organisation, there's a lot of things in the organisation which we need to get better at. I think we've had to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, look, you know, some of those things are, n- are not good enough. We have to look at our policies. We have to look at our transparency. Um, we have to look at the way we're, we're running the game. We have to look at the, the amount of opportunities which players get to come and play international cricket we have to look at how we how we grow the game in scotland and for me that's that's absolutely fine i think we've we've got to do that um it's going to make scotland a better place it's going to make cricketers in scotland feel a lot better and also bring that sense of community which it's there but yeah look, let's let's be fair you know it's under strain at the moment absolutely and we we have to recognize that and if we if we don't then we're not going to move forward and we have to move forward at okay so we're, we're at you know we're talking about performance level here we have to do that performance level in and in all areas of the game toby bailey i'm mindful you've got a cricket game to get to so i better let you go but thank you for your time and and talking us through the, the scotland on-field story what we were talking about there we'll pick up later in the podcast with your acting chief executive but um yeah it's great to see what you've been able to achieve with both the men and the women and more power to you cheers take care thanks adam You can probably tell that we had a hard deadline there with our conversation as we dashed through as much as we could. But Toby gives a a good feel for how they see their place in the world and what's possible in the very near future. I especially enjoyed his answer about giving back to lower ranked associate member nations in the way he hopes full members will respect Scotland in a similar way. As he said himself, this is the essence of growing the game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Next up, Catherine Bryce, one of the most gifted swing bowlers in the world and a very clever middle-order hitter. The 25-year-old has already been in charge for nearly six years. Through this time, her primary cricket has been played in England, now a full-time professional with the Blaze in the regional structure. She's currently a senior member of the Manchester Originals in the 100, which is where I caught up with her. You've been doing this job seemingly forever since you were a teenager. I suppose uh, the the women's game in Scotland's changed quite a bit under your watch over the last six years. Yeah, no, it's been quite quite a long journey taking it over from quite a young age. Um, from Abby as well, who had also taken it over from very young, but she obviously had carry Carswell around um, a lot to kind of she led a lot of where Cricket Scotland went. So, yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. And the women's game in general over the last six six years has really changed. Let's just go back to what you're up to at the moment. So you're, you're, you've been playing in the 100 and you've had these great opportunities in England from the Kia Super League to um, you know getting professional contracts through the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Charlotte Edwards Cup regional structure. Um, you've been on the, the franchise circuit to an extent, having played in Fairbreak and having enjoyed a lot of success there in Hong Kong this year so even though you're very much the Scotland captain most of your cricket's played elsewhere yeah there's probably not a huge amount of Scottish cricket especially the last couple of years since Covid and um, all the tournaments a lot of the stuff we play is the the global tournaments so yeah being really fortunate to have the opportunity to play in um, I started with the Kia Super League and then um, getting a professional contract in England which I guess makes it possible to kind of play cricket full time um, but also uh, be able to play for Scotland as well, which is pretty special. Yeah, so for you and your sister Sarah, who's also on a similar path to you, playing in, in the same competitions, both in England and overseas with Fairbreak, I mean, it, it just enables you, it lays a, well, a foundation underneath what you're able to do and to be full professionals, even if there are Scottish women's contracts, which we'll come to in a bit. Yeah, definitely. I think that's just kind of what started it. And over the last year or so, a few more of the girls have managed to get involved down south, um, which has been really exciting. And I think 
at the moment with with what we've got in place and um, being really important to kind of push on the standard of a lot of the players in Scotland as well. So you're ranked 14th in the world at the moment, the Scottish women, which is you know, near enough to where the men are. I think the men are ranked 11th in one day cricket and, and 14th as well in, in T20 cricket. It feels like they're closer to the top table though in as far as like they play full member nations on a more regular basis. They're in the mix for making 50 over World Cups and so on. And whereas the women's tournaments are a little bit smaller. But I mean, you have still been on an upward curve, haven't you? Like, what's your ambition leading this side? What, what's realistic uh, as far as what level you could reach with tournaments and so on? Yeah, definitely. That's definitely been a goal is to to reach a World Cup. And I guess like what you said, it's, it's a bit more challenging when um, the women's tournaments are a bit smaller. So the men last year managed to make it with a 12-team World Cup in the T20 competition where there's just 10 in the in the women's T20 World Cup. So I guess that's expanding in 2026 I think to 12 team women's world mm, cup there mm. so I think obviously we've got a big push to to try and qualify next year but if not then I think that's a big focus of actually it's expanding a little bit if we can get in that top top 12 um and be in that world cup there then it just just opens up the opportunities to to be able to play against these full member teams and I think it's shown like with Ireland getting into the 50 over championship thing they've now got a full schedule all year round where they play full member teams and they've been in the West Indies and um, played Australia and things like that. So I think just being able to play a lot more high quality cricket as a team as well. feels like this is a huge part of the Scotland story, both for the men and the women, just the, the, the types of fixtures that you get. And it's not as though you're a newcomer or anything. I mean, the Scottish women played the first ever international against England in 1932, mm-hmm. Betty Snowball and, and all the rest of it. And one of the sort of original England greats, but from Scotland uh, in the first instance. But, you know, that thirst for more, it comes through strongly from the men and from your side of the, the ledger as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of what we talk about as well is that actually so much of the, the cricket that we play means so much that it's difficult to then kind of develop much as a player because every competition that you're playing in is trying to qualify for a World Cup. Mm-hmm. You don't have any series where you can play the same many series where you can play the same team over three matches or whatever and you, you develop throughout that period and you can put different things into practice. It's, it's very much usually you've got to play this tournament and you've got to finish top or in the top four or top two um, or beat this team to get through or you've got to wait again until for another year and a half or a couple of years to get the opportunity again. Talking with Toby Bailey earlier in the podcast, we went into the complexity of the relationship with England in terms of it being a finishing school for a lot of men's players historically and now there's not so much of an emphasis on that necessarily but it being so important for the Scottish women's side. But you look back at it, I mean you don't play them really, do you? You've had one one day international against England you haven't played any T20 internationals you played in the county championship before the reconfiguration of of the competition but you know where, where England sits in relation to you because let's be blunt I mean they did pinch one of your best players a few years ago yeah yeah definitely and that's probably happened a couple of times like um, Lee Kasprick uh, went over and um, ended up playing for New Zealand and Kirsty Gordon obviously played for England as well so I think it's so, it's so hard when um, you've not got the consistency of fixtures if especially at that time um there wasn't any other pr- way of being a professional cricketer so mm. you had to go and find that elsewhere so hopefully now with the, you've got the the different sort of structure that we've got we're able to to find that professional cricket but also be able to play for Scotland and yeah yeah I've never played against England I think Carrie might have played 
um, back in the early 2000s or something like that was probably the last time that Scotland played against England. So, yeah, it's a very rare thing. Well, the contracts having come in, is it this season you've had professional contracts in Scotland for the women for the first time? I, I assume that doesn't mean that every player on your books has a full-time deal, but, I mean... It, the very fact that they exist, we saw that in Ireland, they got professional contracts for their women in 2019 and you've already referred to what they've been able to achieve in a, in a relatively short space of time. Do you, do you see that as the example where the, you know, the seeds are being sown now for what could become a full-time Scottish women's program sooner rather than later? Yeah, I think so. It, it's probably very, very little at the moment, but it's at least a step into the, into the ring, I guess. So there's about six or seven um, full-time, no, one or two day, one, two or three day, I think it is, um, contracts for the women. So there's a couple on, uh, I think it's a couple on two days, a couple on day and a half and a couple on one day in a week. So, um, yeah, it's not, not much at the moment. And I guess a lot of the challenge as well is, is not having a full-time coach and coaching structure right. around that as well. But at least it's a start and it's they're, they're in place and hopefully it'll just kind of grow from there and, um, the resources um, of what comes through and, and they'll be able to expand into kind of what we see more of what the island women have got or the men have got their 12 full full-time contracts as mm. well and mm. it'll it's at least somewhere to to get started from yeah it, yeah, it must be frustrating when you do lose those players lee casperick perhaps the most high profile instance going to new zealand and being a mainstay of that side however we're always sort of hearing rumors that she might come back to scotland i mean is there anything in that do you, do you try and when you see her around the world around the circuit do you sort of suddenly you know you're not playing for new zealand as much as you used to do you want to come come back home yeah definitely um she's been involved in the in the last year so um she came back to edinburgh after she um she wasn't really getting much playing for New Zealand anymore so she was back in back in Scotland for a little bit and helped out with a few of the sessions and I think a few of the girls were saying um, oh do you want to come back and, and play but I think she went she got called up uh, last minute to tour of Sri Lanka quite recently and mm. played um, played for New Zealand again there so that's probably her not able to play again for a few years now but you never know and in, in a few years same time when she her her career has kind of come to and end there and she's maybe still still feeling like she can play she she might, might be able to to pull out the, the Scotland colours again but hopefully yeah you just need a few more of those kind of strong players to kind of really drive the system forward and um if you can hang on to them and get a bit more experience of of players that aren't having to stop playing cricket because they need to go and pursue other careers then hopefully it'll continue to grow and I think that's what Ireland have been able to yeah, is keep a, a good core of players for for a long period of time and I think a couple of them have just retired recently like Mary Waldron and uh, Shauna Kavanagh but I think now you've got they know that there's those players coming through the system that they've they can actually step away and Irish cricket will still be in a, a good place. Without wanting to overdo this line of inquiry but you know Kirsty Gordon played half a dozen games for England but that's that's four years ago she could theoretically and come back and, and play for Scotland again. And, and, and when she left, she was seen as you know, a prodigy of sorts through Scottish ranks. Um, is that realistic, that Kirsty might come back and play for the national team if there is a, a route to her balancing off her regional and domestic uh, commitments in England and being paid on full-time terms there whilst representing the Scotland national team again? 
Yeah, possibly in the future. I actually live with her <laughs> at the moment, so I can ask her every now and again if she still wants to, if she wants to come back and play. But I think at the moment she's she's quite happy playing regional cricket and still kind of hanging on there. I think with a bit of hope. You never know what happens with with the English with system and when different coaches come in um, and have a bit of a different perspective. In actually, she's still performing really well on in the regional regional system and, mm. and still got those ambitions to try and play for England again. You've got Ireland uh, in Scotland this week, a development side playing against effectively your Scotland A team um, with an eye to what's coming up with the European qualifier, which is what only a couple of weeks away, isn't it? With France, Italy, yeah. the yeah. Dutch, Spain. I mean, that, that feels like a, an, an incredible opportunity for your team. If you can go over there and, and win that, you kind of got to that one foot into the next World Cup. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely the starting point for that next World Cup campaign. Um, there's a few few new faces going to be in that um, squad as well. So it's, it's really exciting to have a bit more of a, a proper series for that Scotland A team for other people to actually kind of put their name up and say, actually, I want to be in this team. Because I think in the past, it's been quite easy to say, actually, we've got 11 or 12 names that are pretty set and this is go who's going to be going kind of regardless of what's going on. Whereas now there's definitely more depth in the structure where people can say, actually, you're not performing at the moment. This person is performing. Actually, you're you're going to miss out for this series. Um, and I think that's a, a really healthy place to be in where you can you can actually be pushing for competition. I think it's just pushing people to to be better and develop the game as well. Yeah, precisely what we saw in England, right? When they got professional contracts in, there was the same group of 11 or 12 players that played in every every match for England. Now it's very competitive and you'd see that being as part of that domestic structure. I suppose the frustration leading into a, a tournament of that importance uh, in September is that the only cricket your team have played this year is one tri-series with the Netherlands and Thailand. I mean, I know you're all getting great experiences in England, but as a group, it, it's not... It's not easy to gel right away, is it? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what we saw uh, last year was we had the Commonwealth Games qualifiers in January and then there wasn't any international cricket until we had the global qualifiers in August, September time. So again, it was the same sort of thing of you you just don't have... There's a few of us obviously playing in England that get a bit more cricket, but the cricket you get together as a team is just so limited that it's, it's so difficult to kind of come together and be like, right, we're going to try and get to a World Cup. <laughs> with no kind of proper series to build into it um, or, or anything like that. I suppose the upside for you personally is that your cricket's never been going better. I mean, we, we touched on fair break before, but I mean, you dominated that tournament with ball and bat earlier this year against some of the biggest names in, in global cricket. You must feel really confident that you know, into your mid-20s now that you're playing the type of cricket that can match it with anyone in the world. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the the key for me is just being able to have those learning opportunities to say, actually, no, you can, you are good enough to to play with them and and really push on and actually bring a lot of that experience back to the girls in Scotland as well and get more of them out there playing and experiencing that and just playing with training with the better players in the in the English league and and challenging themselves with that. Because so, I think a lot of the Scottish, oh, there's a lot of Scottish passion, but not always that same sort of arrogance of we can go and beat any team. I think there's there there's a lot of learning for players to actually go out there and have that belief that they're they're good enough to get there. And when you get there, you're good enough to beat these players and you deserve to be in that environment. So I think, yeah, having the opportunity and, and being able to perform at a tournament like Fairbreak kind of gives that confidence that you can actually go out and do that with the best players. And if you can get that hooping in swinger going in that European qualifier, not many people are keeping that out, are they? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just keep that going. <laughs> uh, your, your role is broader than just being the on-field captain. I mean, it, it'd be naive of us to suggest that Scottish cricket's in a, in a good place off the field at the moment. I know you, you're quite strong on the anti-racist part of your... Well, the way you see your role in, in, in making Scottish cricket um, as inclusive as it, as it can be, but, you know, having no full-time coach and the challenge that's been there, not having um, the stability off the field that would normally be something that would nurture on-field success. If you can just kind of expand on that and elaborate on, on the role that you feel you have as a leader within the dressing room on the broader Scottish game right now. Yeah, I think it's really important to, to kind of be um, as open as possible about it to all and be open to having those conversations. I think we've been really lucky as a Scotland women's team to have quite a diverse team for a while. Obviously growing up, growing up playing a lot of cricket with likes of Abtaha Maksud and she was she was always really open like growing up as well like having conversations about the differences and conversations about religion and and different challenges that I don't think a lot of people get the exposure to having and being able to have that kind of exposure in the team kind of opens your eyes up to little things like making sure that you've got long sleeve tops for players and stuff like that that haven't hasn't always been the case and obviously it's been a really challenging period for Scottish cricket but yeah as the Scottish captain I think it's I'm um, trying to it's challenging when you obviously experience a lot more of it probably in the women's game a lot of the discrimination and you've actually seen it and then there's a report that kind of clarifies that and a lot of people say like oh, it's not true or don't believe that actually happens or they don't want to to change or do anything differently I think it's obviously that balance of it's been quite damaging for the game but also things do need to change but it's difficult when you don't have a big big structure that can actually help put a lot of things in place and the funding to be able to to make the changes so um I think just trying to have an open mind as possible and be as receptive to it is the key thing and just yeah making sure all the girls are all right and feel like they they still belong in the team but also trying to find a way to to park that a bit and play cricket when we're on the field and trying to find that balance of doing your role as a cricketer but also changing how kind of cricket is viewed in Scotland as well um, is a big challenge. So for you it's it's sounds like that there's open lines of communication both sort of up the chain and feeling comfortable for you to speak to you know people who work in the organisation day to day and also being able to um, have that communication line running from your most junior player in your dressing room. Yeah, definitely. And make kind of make sure that everyone is aware of, of what's going on. And yeah, I think trying to just spread it around the, the clubs as well as much as possible, because I feel like that's where a lot of these things start from. And um, I think a lot of the women's clubs that have, have been pretty good that have set up a women's section have been a lot, a lot more varied and been open to kind of pushing the game forward and that's what they want to do so I think there's a lot of good things happening in the women's game and it's trying to expand that as much as possible and kind of keep it keep it positive but also like driving the game forward. Well, Catherine Bryce you're doing a great job as captain of the, the Scottish women's national team uh, best of luck for the European qualifiers and and for all that's ahead in, in the years to come as well. Perfect thanks very much. 
thanks to Catherine, a really impressive leader. And we'll be sure to keep you posted on how Scotland's women get on in Spain next month throughout their T20 qualifier. Matthew Cross has been a mainstay behind the stumps for Scotland's men since making his international debut in 2013. As we heard from Toby earlier in the episode, this is a side that's been on the charge over the last few years, back to when they knocked off England at the Grange in 2018, a game where Matthew played his role with a brisk 48. And it was on the balcony of the beautiful Grange Cricket Club where we met. A ground you've played so much uh, over the last decade, including, uh, I suppose, the last time you played England here, you made that contribution in a victory uh, over the side that went on to become uh, the world champs just 12 months later. It must hold special memories that day. Yeah, look, we've been lucky to play a lot of uh, a lot of games here at the Grange and there's been a lot of special memories, but none more so than the uh, the England victory. You sort of look back on that five years on, we're almost you know five years to the month to, to that victory and, and reflect on like, where that side was then, which felt like a not a one-off, but it felt like, wow, Scotland have knocked off England. To now, you, you're doing that on a pretty consistent basis, beating full member sides who in theory have a lot more or a lot better resourcing than, than Cricket Scotland do. Yeah, I think it was a, a monumental win in terms of the scale of we were playing the number one team in the world at the time. Um, they had plenty of the superstars who then went on to win the World Cup a few months a few mm. months down the line. So I think we've had ebbs and flows. We've had guys retire and we've had guys come in. And I think the pleasing thing is the way we, we played in the last trip in Zimbabwe was that we were right up there with mm. all, all these teams and competing, you know. And um, you know, I think we fully deserve to qualify, but that's the way sport goes. It's pretty amazing that where Scotland's been that you've become... You've gone within a whisker of making consecutive World Cups where it's been 10 teams, and we were talking to your director of cricket about that earlier this morning, but knowing that you're, you're knocking right on the door, despite the fact that you're an associate member and there's you know 12 full members out there, and you keep knocking them off. I mean, you comfortably defeated the West Indies, Zimbabwe, who were the hosts in the tournament. I mean, you've reached the stage now where it's kind of expected that you'll win games like that. Yeah, I think with the way associate cricket is, we play a lot of this cutthroat cricket, and you know some of those teams don't get to play that that kind of cricket where there's something on the line every time and we're just used to having to win every game and you know every loss feels like a a, a big momentum shift so I think in, in the respects of qualifiers we seem to, to step up a lot and um, look we were fantastic in Zimbabwe and like I say it's just a bit of a shame sometimes the cricket goes on with you A 20-team T20 World Cup will naturally help your qualification chances well I mean you'll be there in in, yeah. uh, in in the West Indies and America next year in a bigger global tournament where you won't have to kind of play that preliminary tournament that's been the case in 2021 and 2022 that, that's been frustrating I suppose to an extent where you, you're there but you're not quite there there despite enjoying some success some success at, at both of those but that must be tremendously exciting knowing that you'll be drawn in a group with with four other big senior nations in a T20 World Cup. Yeah, look, I think I think it's a good thing. It means we go to the World Cup playing four games this time for definite, not three. And I think yep. there was always the the slight lottery of three games in T20 cricket it coming down to run rate and things like mm. that. And um, you know, one extra game at World Cup is is exciting. But obviously, the chance to go through and then get to the, I think it's the Super Eights will be pretty special. You see here, you've got a protective uh, cast on your finger at the moment. I mean, I guess that's an occupational hazard for a wicketkeeper, but um, it'd be remiss of me not to ask. How's it going? Your broken middle finger there? Uh, yeah, it's it's okay. Um, I had surgery two weeks ago. Yeah. I had my stitches out yesterday and it's just a bit of bit of recovery time now. So I'll be like this for another four weeks and then hopefully back to some, some sort of cricket stuff. Right, right. So, I mean, you're vice-captain now. You've been a member of this national team for a decade, principally as wicketkeeper, but opening the batting recently in the in the World Cup qualifiers. I mean, are you feeling like your cricket's in a, as good a place as, it, as it's been throughout your Scottish career right now? Yeah, I think I think I think yes, and I think also the team's in a really good space. You know, mm-hmm. we have lost a few important players in the last couple of years. You know, namely Kyle and Callum. Yep. 
But I think the way the younger lads have come in and kept the energy of the group going, we've had some fantastic performances. You know, Brandon McMullen, for example, has just helped yeah. everyone in that sort of regard. And I think the group's been in a great space. And I've got to give big credit to, to Doug Watson as well, because I think the way he came in and in a tricky period coming in as interim coach, I thought he was just outstanding and he worked really well with Barrow and myself to, to probably get the best out of the group. And like I said, we could have walked away with two World Cups qualified yeah. for and we were you know, only a couple of balls away from that. It's been through this period with the men's national team uh, doing as well as they have, never been ranked higher in one-day cricket, that the wheels have fallen off administratively and they're trying to put the uh, the bus back together right now off the field. I mean, do you detect that as a playing group, that, that all is not well around the board table and with other parts of the game? Or are you able to kind of inoculate yourselves from it? Like, give us a sense of, of what it's been like as a player and a playing group. I think in this day and age of social media, it's tough to just say you can just ignore it. I think we're well aware of it and we know we're trying to rebuild our reputation as, as a brand. I think ultimately as a playing group, we've had the games in front of us to go and win. We've you know won Cricket World League 2. We won the qualifier yep. just here now. Um, and we did, did a pretty good job in Zimbabwe, albeit not quite finished it. But um, I think we're just really focused on trying to do the best on the field. And like I said, the group as a, as a playing group has just been in a fantastic space and... Uh, really been enjoyable to be a part of. As a senior member of that dressing room, do you, well, and, and your colleagues who are as well, do you feel like there's like a, a responsibility as ambassadors, as senior players to kind of advance the anti-racist cause around the game as well? Like you kind of feel that, that expectation as players that it's kind of on you to be uh, leading the way for the whole organisation too? Yeah, for sure. I and mean, I think we're, we're trying to do what, what we can as players. Ultimately, there's only so much we can really do. We are trying to promote the right message and we're doing that through the through Cricket Scotland, through the SCA as well. And we're just trying to do what we can as, as a playing group ultimately. And yeah, hopefully with things starting to improve on the administra administrative side, we'll get to where we need to be. And I guess that extends to fixturing as well, doesn't it? You look through the games that Scotland have played this year, both the men and the women, it's pretty limited outside that cutthroat cricket that you referred to before, outside of qualifiers for World Cups. You're not getting the bilateral series. You're not hosting big countries here at the Grange or you're not going away and playing in series that have played over, say, three or five matches across the formats. Again, is that is that something that you hope that with the success you've enjoyed this year that you might be getting those invitations and you might see a few teams swing through here when they're going to England, for example? Yeah, I hope so. And I think that's always sort of been the feeling that that will happen. I know it's not as easy as that just to organise these kind of series. But ultimately, if, if we're going to get to becoming a full member, I think we need that kind of cricket to to keep putting wins on the board, to help develop some of the younger players and develop, you know, playing in front of home crowds. Like we play more cricket away from home than we do at home, which is a bit crazy. But it's, mm. just, it's just the world we live in. We seem to spend, you know, 90% of our games are abroad, so we don't get to play in front of home crowds. But when we do... They're all here watching and it's, it's fantastic. But yeah, look, we just need we need more cricket. Simple as that. Men, women, even the A team, the juniors. It's not it's not rocket science, but that will get us to where we need to be, I believe. There's that group of three European countries, Scotland, Ireland and the Netherlands. You've all, you've all had your own journeys, but equally you've all been making strides through the last 10 or 15 years in, in different ways. Ireland have become a, a full member. Scotland were, were sort of kind of on that journey, not not really there at the moment, but there seems to be a little bit of reticence to get too deeply invested in, in Red Bull cricket uh, and that if Red Bull cricket's to be a priority, well, one can go and play in the county championship, for example. I mean, what's your view on that, whether there should be uh, an opportunity for more a multi-day or some multi-day domestic red ball cricket uh, here for men who, who wish to advance in a different format of the game, which ultimately, if you became a full member, could see you playing test cricket. Yeah, look, I think as a playing group, we'd, we'd love to play it. I think that's sort of out of our control in terms of sort of the financing and things around it here about 
how much the playing test cricket and stuff cost these teams at the at the bottom end. And it's, I think we did play it back in the I Cup days, and we we thoroughly enjoyed going to different countries and playing four days of hard cricket. And I think if it came back to the table and it was a viable option for Scotland, we would we would be happy to do it. So kids growing up now, like you know, at your local club, you're sort of 15, 16 year old. Uh, young boys and girls coming through to today sort of think about being one day able to turn out for Scotland in, in test cricket or is that not really part of their development they're more thinking about how they can be the best white ball resourceful clever tri- and tricky you know bag of tricks cricketer they can be that's, that's a good question I honestly I don't know I mean I I think obviously the skill set isn't too dissimilar I think you watch in England the way they're going about it at the moment it is changing quickly in test cricket I think as well and um I think ultimately we're just trying to produce good cricketers and I think guys who have that ambition to go further and want to go further end up playing down in the counties and I think we've seen quite a lot of our, our lads go through the counties at some points. Like I said, ultimately, if, if the ICC put the I-Cup back on, I'm sure we'd be all up for it and go mm. and try and win that as well. Yeah, because there's, well, I mean, the, the, the configuration of World Cup Super League, you know, League 2, which you won last time around, it's a bit unclear what it's going to look like in, in the next four years. I know it'll exist, but different structure with a 14-team World Cup, which yeah, really you guys should be in, right? I mean, based on rankings, based on form, based on the way you've played in World Cup qualifiers, that shouldn't just be like an outlier ambition. You should be hunting that as we deserve to be there. Now, go and secure that. But the types of fixtures you might get between now and the next round of World Cup qualification, it's a bit unclear. Yeah, no, you're spot on. I think we've, I'm sure when we sit down before the first round of the World Cricket League 2, we'll say we want to win this thing again. Yep. So by doing that, we'll get ourselves pretty close to qualifying for mm-hmm. that 2027 World Cup. Yeah, and look, there'll be other things. There'll be another couple of T20 World Cups to go and to go and do something special in before then as well. So there's there's plenty on the table for the guys at the moment in terms of of the World Cup stuff. But you know, hopefully, we'll be able to play enough full member games in that next four year period to go and uh, put some more full member wins on the board. And does that extend your ambition as well? Thinking, I mean, I, I know cricketers tend to think in in cycles of you know four years World Cups and so on do you look at that 2027 World Cup for you personally as a as something you'll be striving towards to make sure you're still behind the sticks and keeping your spot and advancing your game I look at I look at Richie and he's still going at sort of 36 <laughs> 37 he might even be older than that I'm sure so and I've I played with Kyle who made it to 38 39 yeah. so I think it's easily within the the possibilities for myself but um you know, it's it's probably sort of one period of cricket at a time we've now got six months off which seems a bit crazy given how how much cricket we played in the last two months, but um, yeah, it's sort of a good time to reset and then sort of readjust the goals for the for the team, and then we go again heading into the the next World Cup. Uh, noting there must have been some disappointment when the Euro Slam hit the fence in in 2019, which was to be the the T20 comp with those aforementioned three European nations. I mean, you've had chances personally to play a little bit of franchise cricket in Canada. I know a bunch of the Scotland team played in Antigua in their domestic T20 comp over the last couple of years is that sort of something that's now on the radar of most of the senior players getting out there and and getting better experience and more experience against high quality international combatants yeah I I think it's massively important now because the the opportunities out with the associate game are massive now you know we see how quickly associate cricket is actually growing I think especially the teams we play against it's it's sort of alarming to see how quickly they're all catching up as Mm -hmm. well Um, and that's part of our our responsibility to go out there, promote associate cricket, promote Scottish cricket, you know, put in big performances as well. I think that's the one thing the guys come back from these things saying is that playing with all these sort of superstar stuff and playing against them is, is pretty cool, but we're, not, we're on that level now and we have to expect that of ourselves to go out there and, and win games for our franchises and for our country. Matthew Cross, congratulations on what's been a really excellent couple of years on the field for the Scottish men's team and, and, here's, to, and here's to more of it in the years to come. Cheers, thanks very much, mate. 
Here's to Scotland's men continuing their rise, not only making more World Cups, but doing plenty of damage when there, with Matthew Cross front and centre. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G'day guys, this is Jimmy Neesham. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Our final guest today is Pete Fitzboyden. He was brought in just four months ago as interim chief executive with the very clear remit to stop the bleeding at senior levels of Cricket Scotland. It was a savvy appointment. Fitzboyden has been a gun for hire when organisations have gone through difficulties in the past. Our conversation goes to that and specifically the next steps as the organisation comes to terms with the assessment that it has been deemed institutionally racist. Given the jobs you've had in the past, you've been something of a, of a troubleshooter in chief. Uh, first of all, welcome to the show. What other jobs have you had where things have been off the rails? You've had to come in and help sort out an organisation out. There have been various over the last five years, I and mean, kind of accidentally, really. I, I went to Cycling UK to help them out during COVID with some financial problems, Babington, England, with various problems in the Olympic team. Mm. Premiership rugby when they had you know, clubs going bankrupt. It's just something I've kind of accidentally done one after another, gone in listen to people, help them plan and help them fix things. And here I am. It's quite an interesting situation where the men's team feel like they're at a high watermark of sorts with what they achieved at the, the qualifier earlier this year and the World Cup the last couple of years. I mean, it's been put to me that it's almost in spite of what's going on off the field, they've been able to galvanise and, and get their act together. Is that how you interpret it too, from what you've observed? I mean, the, the team have done a fantastic job to try and insulate themselves from what's going on. Mm. I mean, they're, they're, they're focused, they're professional they know what they need to do and you know the, the performances they put in over the last year have been phenomenal punching well above our weight and it, it, it's great to see and to a degree it's it's our problem not theirs yeah you know? and what we wanted to do is make sure they can focus on cricket what, what everyone wants to do so 
there are some pretty key appointments that need to be made by well, the board and, and by the executive. Women's coach, I know the men's coach situation has sorted itself out now, which is a good thing, but a full-time chief executive to replace you, a full-time chair. There have been, as I said, since the initial uh, reports of uh, institutional racism inside uh, Scottish cricket, a number of people who have gone through those chairs. Uh, are we any closer to having the top brass in I, place? I really hope. I, I feel like I spent the last year in interviews, so I really hope so. Right. Uh, we, we've got some great candidates lined up uh, you know certainly in terms of the chair and chief executive positions yep. they're almost in in position uh, we're just doing final kind of wave on those new board members are in place yep. from there then we can start sorting out the performance team had a performance that will go out soon and then finalize the head coaches so there's a kind of a cascade if you like going down but you know we've left no stone untoned to get right. the the right people in the right positions and get some stability. That's what everyone's crying out for, some real stability in Scottish cricket. And I assume almost as difficult a job as the chief executive and chair will be the head of EDI as well. Is that part of this recruitment process as well? It it is. And I think what we need to do is get the chair and chief executive position. They're they're critical. You know, get the best people we possibly can. But not pre-decide what they want Mm -hmm. because what we want to do is give them a solid ship, but allow them to really dictate what they want in the organisation, what they want it to look like. You know, do they want a slightly different structure? Do they want to spend the money slightly differently? And all of that will actually be dictated by the strategy because we're, we're currently doing the biggest ever consultation with the Scottish game to ask the Scottish game how they want the cricket to be run. I think once we've heard that, then we can decide, okay, great. These are the positions we need. This is where we need to focus our money to make sure Scottish cricket not only recovers but flourishes. And I think they're, they're the plans we've got in place and we need the right people to drive that forwards. Does it lend itself to a certain type of candidate who wants to come in? Kind of similar to you in a way, people who've had experience in organisations that have gone off the rails or do you think it kind of works the other way where people are a little bit wary of putting their name forward? Um, I, I can't speak for them. What I can say, we've got some fantastic candidates. Okay. And in fact, phenomenal in terms of the people that we're, we're considering at the moment. In terms of the right background, I don't... You need someone who is used to change, absolutely. Leadership, inspiring people, trying to get the whole game to to heal. I, I, I'm hesitant to use the word heal mm. because, end of the day, it's not broken. People are playing cricket, you know, and people are enjoying cricket. But it's someone who is passionate about the game, mm-hmm. that people believe and can actually follow. And I think they're the kind of people we're after. Of course, with business skills, that goes without saying. But someone who's just got real credibility that people can really get excited about leading a, a Scottish cricket. It feels like heel's a pretty good term for it. I mean, Scottish cricket, from the outside looking in, feels like it's tearing itself apart since Majid Hack and Kasim Sheikh expressed their views publicly as they have over, mm. well, going back to 2015 in, in mm. the case of, of Majid. People taking sides. There's some similarities to Yorkshire there and what we saw in England over mm. the last couple of years. There have been administrators who've come through who've been divisive as well. A lot of this has been juked out in the public domain on social media as well. Mm. It, it's going to take a lot of work to to bring people together. You're absolutely right. And I've spoken to countless people over the last few months from all sides. I will call it sides. Yep. It, it sounds a little bit kind of entrenched, but but I think it is. What's really interesting, when I speak to everybody, there's, there's so much hurt in all quarters, every part of the game. But a lot of that hurt is when we look backwards. When, when we talk about the report... 
you know, people disagree with this, that, and the other, how it's been handled, how we've handled everything. When we look forwards about the game we want to create, that there's, there's real consensus that everyone agrees that a more inclusive game is great for everybody, that's more accessible, better facilities, all these kind of things that everyone agrees with. So what we're trying to do is get people to look forwards, not back. And there's a lot of hurt looking backwards. There's a lot of excitement and good stuff looking forwards. So the, the Changing the Boundaries report, which the remit of it was to get everybody to say what their experiences were. And of course, when, when that came out, it generated a lot of um, public attention. And a fair way down the path from that, up to 22 claims of racism, specific claims of racism, are being investigated by an independent It's actually legal 53 is, Sorry, is the total number. 53, yeah, yeah, my apologies, yeah, you know, I, I, I must have incorrected. There, there are lots of numbers. I think it's 53 against 22 potential uh, defendants, if you like. Okay, so, right, yeah, but right. Yeah. Um, so, but it's a big number. Um, <laughs> and again, sort of externally, it feels like the absence of information about that lends itself to vast speculation. Is that kind of in your chair uh, where you are at the moment? Would it be nice for you to be able to talk more about what's been um, said in, in the in the Changing the Boundaries report? Or is it, we're at this stage now where this just has to take place behind closed doors? And, and I, th- I think it would, well, it, not, not behind closed doors. We want to be as transparent as we can. Okay. I, I think a lot of what is really confusing for people at the moment is there are so many things going on. The, the Changing the Boundaries report is done that clearly finds that we've been institutionally racist in our processes how we manage and we're working through that we're improving ourselves it's systems led and in terms of that job list we'll get it done we're committed to that the bits around the cases of racism came out of that report but they are separate and Yes, there are 53 of them. They're working through. We're just under halfway through those in terms of coming mm-hmm. through and getting them researched. But they are separate. Uh, and I think that's where people need to kind of understand that a little bit. So getting into the guts of it, you were, as an organisation, very happy to acknowledge the institutional racist tag and claim and so Absolutely. on. But equally, you don't want to prejudice the, the 22 oh, or 53 They need to be looked into individually, independently, right. which they are. Harper McLeod and uh, also Sporting Equals are looking into them independently. When we get those reports, we act on them. You know, in a lot of cases, this isn't about having a guilty, not guilty verdict. You know, the, the people who are complaining don't want that. It's not about retribution on the whole. It's about making the game better. Mm, mm. And most of the reports that I've had make really sensible recommendations about things we could have done better and things we've got to improve. And that's what we've been focusing on. And But that said, the sooner we can get these 53 cases through, the better. Not Not to rush them by any means. But I think once we have them, we know what we've got to improve and we can start to heal the game. We can start to move forward. We can... When I say put it behind us, I don't mean ignore it. I mean fix it, but look forward about this better game, an improved game that we're all excited about doing. And, and that's, it is something in the back of everybody's minds. And I think the sooner we can get that done, the better. So the, the, the process of, well, let's call it intervention or special yes. measures with uh, Sports yeah. Scotland who came in when, when the shit hit the fan. What's the relationship now like with Sports yeah. Scotland? Because I assume like to an extent you, you rely on them like they're the representatives of the government. They to yeah. an extent are a funding stream for you and facilities and, and conversations around World Cup bids and all the rest of it. Yeah. But equally, they're looking pretty closely at what, what you're doing day to day. I mean, this absolutely. must have natural tension. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, in Sports Scotland... It's something I know that people would expect me to say, <laughs> but they've been great, okay. absolutely great. They're funding a lot of this in terms of helping us put it right. And 
it's interesting. A lot of people have told me I'm a puppet of <laughs> of Sports Scotland or going coming in, or you know, absolutely controlled under special measures. Nothing could be further from the truth. Mm. You know, the whole team have been phenomenal. Not not telling us what to do, being there when we need them, being there for advice, support, but really not dictating. I mean, I, I couldn't have wished for a better partner there in the support they've given us. And as I said, I know people expect me to say that, but it but it's heartfelt. You know, I'm, I'm pretty independent in this. And they've been great, absolutely great. From from what you've seen so far, is Cricket Scotland just too small? And by that I mean a big thing happens like this. It generates a lot of national media activity. There are significant claims made. Was the organisation at the time just not robust enough to deal with it adequately, which meant mistakes were made on the, it, on the way through? It's interesting you, you say that because that's my observation. I think coming in, of course, most of my focus was on changing the boundaries, trying to fix things. But when you try and analyse why this has happened... It does come back to lack of capacity, uh-huh. that the organisation isn't as big and well-resourced as it needs to be to run a pretty sizable sport. You know, it's forgotten that you know, more people play cricket in Scotland than play rugby union. It's a big really? sport here, um, but it's almost, but it's resourced. It's got 25-ish people to run a whole sport. Mm, mm. And that's when I did some real kind of, okay, why has this happened? That's what we need to improve. We need to be bigger as an organisation with more capacity, yep, but be better run. And I think that's where getting the right leadership in, in, in place, some really dull stuff, systems, processes, robustness, staff training, staff education, all these things weren't happening. And that's, you know, not to malign the staff. The staff could not be more motivated, dedicated or anything like that. They've just been let down by the organisation. So for me, what I want to leave behind to my successor and hopefully be in place within a couple of months is a good organisation that's solid, well-run, and a blank canvas. So you used the term sides before, um, you know, long-term former chair, Tony Bryan, it's been, it's been critical of the of the way that the, the report was constructed. I know he was mm. chair when it was initiated, but nevertheless, there's some, there's some grey area there around how he sees it being brought together. You know, there are other groups involved as well, such as Running Out Racism, who've been working as an advocacy body and collaborating to an extent with you as well. And, and their position has been uh, looking for... Uh, as I understand it, sort of a not looking for uh, retributive justice necessarily, not looking for people to have heads on a stick yeah. as much as trying to find a, a respectful and peaceful way of resolving this to, to move forward. But it feels like there are in the margins, there are mm. groups and people who will never accept anything short of there being some sort of retribution for what's taken place over the last number of years. I mean, that, that's going to be difficult to square as well, for I, whoever I, it is. I, I haven't felt that there's a desire for retribution. I haven't felt that, okay. speaking to everybody involved I, I think everybody when they look forward actually just wants a better run sport okay you know, that's fairer more inclusive and everything like that I, I can't speak for previous chair's opinion of the report you know mm-hmm. when I've read it it seems very balanced and reflective of the organization I see that that hasn't got robust processes to or didn't have rather does now of dealing with some of these things the, the, the stuff we put in place now in terms of dealing with Discipline issues, whether that's racism-related or other, is now world-class. It's an independent panel with solicitors, lawyers that deal with it. We've got staff in place. We've got systems and processes that deal with things very quickly. Now it's really good. It wasn't before. And I think just doing that throughout the whole organisation, getting it fit for purpose, getting it not just fit for purpose but actually world-class in some areas, has just been... Unfortunately, it took the report to do it. Mm -hmm. But now it's now it's in place and it will be well run going forward and I think that's something that we we need to focus on uh, and make sure we 
we, you know, we, we don't rest until we're a great organisation. And look, your sunlight's the best disinfective with these things that often can be with a, a more open organisation. Presumably, at some point, this will lead to a more adversarial, mm. formal process akin to what happened with the ECB in Yorkshire, right, where, mm. where there'll be a chance for maybe appeals or, or, mm. or those who have been identified as having committed racist acts having to, to front a public sort of style panel. That's going to mean that before what you're describing there can occur, mm. there's going to be more pain. It seems somewhat inevitable. It might be. It might not be. We don't influence the independent panel in terms of what they think needs to happen. Okay. But I think something I said earlier is absolutely true. The vast majority of people who made these comments, made these complaints, don't want retribution. They want a better sport. They want it improved. And I think that's what we need to dwell on and actually make some learnings from other countries to make sure it doesn't feel like a guilty, not guilty thing. It's about making the sport better. And in some cases rather than have a really divisive, I'm going to use the word verdict, mm-hmm. actually try and re- actually repair relationships. Where people are willing, why, why wouldn't we get people together to say, do you know what, maybe I did make a mistake, maybe I could have done something differently. And that, that's what the focus has been on a lot of these cases and not have this drama, and not have this you know, divisive drama and rather actually try and make the sport better, make relationships better. And I think the people I've spoken to so far are supportive of that kind of end game, right? Not more divisive, well, drama. And it'll have to be right because the reputational damage that Cricket Scotland's absorbed over the last few years has been considerable. Say with your, well, you're a major stakeholder with the ICC as an associate member, the funding mm. streams and so on, and when you have to go and go to Dubai and make a case for more money and, and for, for different styles of grants and so on. I mean, at yeah. the moment, they'd be looking at an organisation that, that's, that's experienced so much drama, they, yeah. I, they surely would be a bit hands-off, but you've got to get to that point with the ICC where, where they can feel relaxed about the way things are working here. You're absolutely right. I was really reassured actually talking to a lot of senior ICC people in Durban. When I had the chance to explain what has happened, what is going on, I think they were more reassured because... A lot of the information they have was headlines. And, you know, by, by nature of headlines, you don't always get the positive news. And there's so much positive news about the progress we've made, uh, the organisation we have already become and, and actually where we're going. So, you know, the ICC have been really supportive. Understandably, you know, concerned, of yep. course. You know, any, any member nation, associate or otherwise, you know, they, they've, they've got a vested interest in making sure we're great. Mm-hmm. But having taken the time to speak to them, I think they, they now get it. They get where we are, they get where we're going. And I think they're quite reassured about Scottish cricket's future. Aspirations to become a full member parked for the time being. I mean, I know for a time that was a quite a big thing in conversations around Scottish cricket. Ireland did it, Afghanistan did it. Mm. Scot- Scotland's performances, especially the men's team, mm. started to, to build the case that, that that could be not far away. I mean, where does that sit from an administration perspective now? It's, it's a very good question. It's a massive strategic decision for the organisation to make, for members to make. There's absolutely been a focus on that over the last 10 years Mm -hmm. potentially to the detriment of other areas of the organization i have to say and it's not necessarily the utopia that people think you know i think we've seen with other nations getting full member status it's not all you know bells whistles and dreams and everything else it's not this will be a key question of the current strategy to ask people do we want it do we want to really go for it or do we actually want to build the domestic game make that brilliant, truly brilliant, help fuel a successful Scottish team, both in terms of men's, women's and other formats of the game, and then only then only, then only look for full member status and do it that way around to really, in other words, 
look a bit closer to home, mm-hmm. be great, and then see what happens, rather than almost build it and hope the rest comes. So, for instance, having your own facility, I mean, we're at the Grange Cricket Club right now, which isn't yours, and it's a, a rental situation, kind of like Ireland with Malahide, having a, a sort of a national base that's yours and you can build yeah. on and having the infrastructure in place. I agree. Thankfully, that's not part of my remit in the next few months. Sure, sure, sure. It's, it's certainly something we need to look at over the, over the coming years. It would be great to have a home for Scottish cricket, of course, but only one that is financially sustainable, that, that works to support all areas of the game but I think that's something that needs to go into the new strategy and certainly my successor needs to think carefully about where we want to be based not just for international fixtures but for all the development pathway to give us that home to really up up our game in all levels. Maybe a bit left field to finish, but a few years ago it was all about the Euroslam, wasn't it, between Scotland, Ireland and, and the Netherlands having their own piece of the T20 pie. Has that been something that's been in your intro in the six months here and any conversations about how that might actually get on the park? I, I had, some, I think, some very similar conversations in Durban about what might be feasible, but most of it's about having really high-quality fixtures as often as we possibly can on our doorstep. For me... I've had other things to focus on. Yep. I think we need to fix the ship before we <laughs> work out where we sail it. And okay. I think that, that's, where, that's where I've been focused over the last few months. Uh, Pete Fisboyden, thank you for coming and talking to us on The Final Word. Thank you very much. Thanks to Pete Fitzboyden for taking the time out of his very busy diary. One question I didn't ask when the tape was running was whether he would consider staying on full-time in the role, but that won't be the case with family commitments back in England. Nevertheless, he's successfully given Cricket Scotland some breathing room in the middle of a most challenging time that, as he notes himself, may well get tougher before it gets better. And that is our show for today and the end of our week in Edinburgh. I can happily report that the Final Word 11 enjoyed a victory over the eccentric Flamingos by 24 runs on Tuesday night. So we remain undefeated in our various fixtures, five from five. A number of us also took the field for the Lord's Taverners on Wednesday as we continue to strengthen the bond between the final word and that fine charity. Indeed, I'm recording this from there right now at the Stenhouse Muir Cricket Club where Pat McKeon, uh, one of our listeners and patrons on about 15 not out or, or thereabouts. For nearly 75 years, the Lord's Tavs have been doing a power of work making cricket a big part of the lives of young people with disabilities or born into other disadvantage. We would love you to sign up to their mailing list to learn more about their fine work. And as that relates to Scotland, consider being part of the final words next trip to Edinburgh in May 2024, when we will again be in town for the marathon and half marathon. This was a great success earlier this year, raising about 6,200 quid for the tabs. My goal is to at least double that next time with an even bigger crew. So get your running shoes out. Also, we've decided to return to Scotland during the fringe around this time next year for a proper cricket tour. That's just beer talk at this stage but I'm pretty sure we'll make it happen again in conjunction with our great mates at the Lord's Taverners alright thanks again to our guests today and to Cricket Scotland for making their players and staff available to us this has been the final word with Adam Collins bye for now